This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. As always, I'm grateful that you've joined me tonight as we seek to turn this studio into a sanctuary. It's always good to pause and take a little time to be holy. Thank you for joining me tonight, and I trust that you'll be blessed both by the Word and the music. Our scripture lesson comes from Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning at verse 46. They came to Jericho. And he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go your, your way, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. The minister opened the letter cautiously. The familiar stationery told him that this letter was from a friend. The last time he had seen this friend, this friend was having all kinds of difficulties. Even though he was in middle age, he was having all kinds of difficulties. Challenges were simply insurmountable to him. He was full of self-doubt. He was full of a lack of enthusiasm. He didn't have that. He didn't have anything. So the minister had spent time with him trying to help him to overcome this, talking about the love of God and the powerful nature of faith to transform. But finally, the minister just said to him, he said, listen, sooner or later, you're going to have to decide if you want to live the rest of your life. The man said he would think about it and get in touch with him. So no wonder the minister opened the letter cautiously because he knew it was from this friend. But when he opened the letter, the letter only had four words and an exclamation point. It simply said, I have decided to live. And then he had signed, Richard. Now, if this is in any way true of your situation, 
I hope that you'll pay close attention to this message tonight because I'm going to talk about three realizations that can change your entire life. Three realizations that can change your entire life. So if you're having a time when challenges are just too big for you, if you're all down and out, if you're full of self-doubt, then I want you to pay close attention to these three realizations that can change your life. The first realization is the realization that it's the roadside ministries, the extra things that make the big difference in life. But before I get further into that, I want to go back and tell you about the scripture text. Here we have a blind man, a blind man uh, named Bartimaeus sitting on the roadside. He senses Jesus is passing by, so he begins to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd around him sternly says, be quiet, be quiet. But he's not going to let the crowd dampen his enthusiasm, so he continues to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus says to him, bring him to me. So when he comes, he says, what can I do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And the man said, I want to receive my sight. And Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. But I want you to remember now, the first realization that can change your life is the realization that it's the roadside ministry, it's the extra things that can make a big difference. If you were to ask me, why did God send Jesus into the world? I would probably come up with two things. That's in spite of all the Christological studies and all of the other religions, I would come up with two things. First of all, God sent Jesus into the world to redeem the world, to redeem this entire creation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. God sent the son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. There was a powerful witness for the Lord named Sojourner Truth. Sojourner Truth was so empowered that a minister asked her one day, he said, listen, Sojourner, do you preach from the Bible? And she said, no, I don't preach from the Bible. She said, I can't read a letter. She said, I only have one text, and I preach from this text every time, and that text is, since I found Jesus. And then she would go on to explain what had happened since her mother and father had come over from Africa, how they were sold into slavery, and then how she had met Jesus in terms of her liberty and liberation and her dignity as a human being. I remember Bar Karl Barth, who was a great 20th century theologian, he was asked, what is the greatest theological truth you've ever known? And he replied very simply, he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The second major assignment that God gave Jesus was to give the world a true revelation of God. To give the world a true revelation of God. In 1776, Benjamin Franklin went on a very important mission. He was seeking loans from France. These loans, he was... He was commissioned by the Continental Congress to get these loans to help America fight Great Britain and establish America's independence. If he failed, then independence would be lost and all of those would be killed. And nothing would happen significantly for the United States of America in terms of democracy and independence and freedom. Now, the assignment God gave Jesus to reveal God to everybody pales that task of Benjamin Franklin into insignificance. Certainly that was important for America, but what God told Jesus to do was to reveal himself to this world. That's important for the entire world. No question 
about that. Jesus was God made flesh and dwelling among us. Jesus' assignment was to let people know what God was really like, that God had to do with mercy and grace as well as righteousness and truth. A cynic once said, God loves you, but he said, get it in writing. Well, the way we get God's love in writing is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But aside from these two major assignments, the roadside ministries are the extra things. It's one of the loveliest ministries in the life of Jesus Christ, for sure. Now, the healing of Bartimaeus is particularly important because of the location of that story in Mark's Gospel. This is the last healing of Jesus before he arrives in Jerusalem to give his life on the cross. As a matter of fact, in Jericho, he's only 15 miles from Jerusalem. So he's got his mind clearly set on what he's going to do in Jerusalem, giving his life for all humankind. His mind is set on all of that, but yet here is a blind uh, man on the side of the road. By comparison to what he's going to do in Jerusalem, this doesn't amount to much, except it amounted to a lot in terms of that one person who needed healing. It amounted to a lot in terms of a ministry of love, and Jesus did it, and Jesus did it. It was a roadside ministry, you see. It was an extra thing. Jesus was in a synagogue teaching, as was his custom on a Sabbath. He saw this woman who was suffering. He was teaching about life and about God. Well, he stopped his teaching about life and God, such important teachings, and he tended to the needs of that sufferer. We're told that suffering made him suffer. Whenever he saw it and experienced it, it made him suffer. And so he cured that little woman in that synagogue with her 18-year infirmity. It was a roadside ministry, an extra thing. Clearly, some mothers liked what Jesus had, and so they decided to bring their babies to Jesus to be blessed. The disciples were indignant. They said, no, he doesn't have time to deal with these children, so just get them away. But Jesus himself became very indignant. He said, let the children come to me. Do not forbid them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus again got involved in the roadside ministries, the extra things. Beloved, it's these extra things, these little things that make us love Jesus so much. And it's also these extra things, these little things that will make people appreciate the witness of Jesus through us now in our time. When I was pastor at First Methodist Church, Dallas, Texas, I had back surgery, and I was out of the pulpit in that church for a month. During that month, I received a lot of cards. They would get well cards and etc. But I received one card a day from one couple the entire month. So I was thanking them for their care, for sending me a card a day for an entire month. And they said, this is the one thing we can do. This is a roadside ministry. This past week, my wife and daughter and grandson were in the mountains, and we were eating at a well-known popular restaurant where you had to wait a while. So we were waiting on our number to be called. And all of a sudden, I saw a young man. He evidently was married, but I saw a young man jump up and open the door for an elderly woman who was coming into the restaurant. And I saw how appreciative that lady was to him, and a beautiful smile came out on her face. And when I looked at that young man, I thought to myself, there it is, those extra things, those roadside ministries. I only regretted that he had responded before I did. But how appreciative I was of the extra ministries, the extra roadside ministries, and how appreciative that woman was. So the first realization that will change your life 
is the realization that it's the roadside ministries, the extra ministries that make the big difference. The second realization that would change your life is that miracles do happen. Miracles do happen. In one of his books, Louis Grizzard talked about the church. He talked about standing outside the Methodist church in Moreland, Georgia, where he was from, and looking at the church. He said he hadn't been in that church in 10 years, but nevertheless, that was his church where his roots were. And he said he recalled back as he stood there the night that two boys came to the MYF, the night meeting for youth, one Sunday night. These two boys had broken into a store and robbed it. And the judge sentenced them to six months of attending the youth group. Six months of attending the youth group. Louis Grizzard said he never will forget the first night. The first night they were there, they beat up a boy. And then they threw a hymn book at the lady who was responsible. And fortunately, she, jumped just, she ducked just in time. She was also the one that brought the cookies. And he said he remembered what the woman said to the two boys. She said, I don't appreciate what you did tonight, and neither does Jesus. But if he can forgive you, I guess I can too. And she gave the two boys the plate of cookies. Louis Grizzard said the last he heard of those two boys, both of them had grown up to be good daddies, and they seldom ever missed church. Louis Grizzard went on to say that was the first miracle I ever saw. The first miracle I ever saw. A teacher was preaching to a congregation one Sunday, and this teacher was kind of a professor, and he said, I just want you to know that the Hebrew word for read and read, as far as the sea goes, stands for the same thing. And he said, I also want you to know that Moses led the people of Israel not out of the Red Sea, but out of the Reed Sea. And the Reed Sea was only a couple of inches deep. It was like a marsh. And he said, the wind blew a little bit, and so they walked on through. At this point, one of the young men jumped up and said, Hallelujah, another miracle. The speaker was so upset, he said, What do you mean? What are you talking about? He said, Hallelujah. He said, Just imagine God drowned all those Egyptian soldiers in two inches of water. That would certainly be a miracle. Well, miracles have had a hard time in our culture. Miracles have been battled. It's been a long-running struggle in the life of the church. Miracles. Many people do not believe in miracles, so mildly stated, it's been a problem. And I remember that it was the Renaissance. It was also not only the Renaissance, but it was the Reformation. And it was the industrial era, all that fought against us having the opportunity of, having, of knowing miracles in our lives. They said miracles just can't be. Well, even though there are a lot of people that don't believe in miracles, they think it's anti-science, anti-intellectual, anti-rational. There are a lot of people that do believe in miracles, and I want to share what one person said in his book, Conversations of the Heart. This is Bishop White, Woody White. He says, I do believe in miracles, the occurrence of acts not explained by rational and logical reasoning, cures and healings that have taken place in the face of contrary medical predictions and evidences, but this is more testimony to the power of God than to the claims of men and women. I remember I asked a lady not long ago how her family member was. He's been ill, and she said it's a miracle he's still alive. But I like the way Leonard Sweet put it. He said a miracle is when God makes a way. A miracle is when God makes a way. I want you to listen to how the writer of Isaiah put it in the 43rd verse. Listen to these two verses. He says, Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, 
a path in the mighty waters. And then he says, I am about to do a new thing. Now it brings forth, do you not see it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So as let us, we said, a miracle is when God makes a way. Now, if I were to ask you to explain a miracle that's in, been done in your life, you might not be able to do it. But if I were to ask you to explain a situation where God made the way, you probably could do it. I remember a young woman, a married woman, she had three little children. And after the third child came, she began to frantically wonder how in the world she could make it, raising those children and doing her work, her job. But then, unexpectedly, a kind woman in the church, an older woman, paid for a person to help this young woman for nine months. Nine months. God made a way. I've come to many situations in my own life when I wondered how in the world things were going to make it. But God seemed to make a way. And that's the point that I'm trying to point out to you tonight. No matter what's going on in your life, God will make a way. So the second realization that can change your life is that miracles do happen. The third realization that can change your life is that you must put yourself into the channel of God's blessing. Now let me ask you something. How did the curing of blind Bartimaeus actually take place? How did that happen? It happened because of the rising faith in Bartimaeus that would not let him remain quiet when Jesus was passing by. The crowd told him to hush, be quiet, but he would not allow the crowd to dampen his enthusiasm. He cried out all the more loud, Jesus, have mercy upon me. And then momentarily Jesus stopped and called him to come up to him and said, what can I do for you? And Bartimaeus said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Jesus said, go, your faith has made you well. And so it was Bartimaeus that put himself into the channel of God's blessing. And then we had a little woman with an 18-year-old infirmity in a synagogue one Sunday, Jesus came in there and he was teaching and preaching. And then he looked out and he saw a woman who had an 18-year-old infirmity. Now this woman who had the 18-year-old infirmity had a good excuse for not being there. If she had not been there, there would have been no problem about it. Nobody would have blamed her or criticized her. But if this woman with an 18-year-old infirmity had not arrived in that synagogue that day, she would probably have gone all through life, all been over and crooked, because we are never told that Jesus was in that synagogue again. So it was blind Bartimaeus and this woman, this woman with an 18-year-old infirmity that put themselves into the channel of God's blessing. I remember Robert Shuler wrote a book some years ago and said, if it's going to be, it's up to me. He said, there's only one person that can dream your dream. That person is you. He said, there's only one person that can kill your dream. That person is you. He said, there's only one person that can decide to make your dream come true. That person is you. And let me say to this, there's only one person that can put you into the channel of God's blessing, and that person is you. So how can you get into the channel of God's blessing? I don't know how you can do it, but I do know this. A little man named Zacchaeus put himself into the channel of God's blessing by climbing a tree to see Jesus. He saw Jesus and he was made whole. A little woman with a cancer put herself into the channel of God's blessing by touching the hem worn by Jesus. She was never the same again and she was healed. Old Saul studied the law to the letter and one day he heard a, he heard a sound, saw a flash and he became the mightiest missionary that the church has ever known, the Apostle Paul. So how do you put yourself into the channel of God's blessing? Maybe you just determine you're going to pray more, pray every day. Maybe you determine you're going to read the Bible more, read it every day. 
Maybe you determine you're going to get involved in a church somewhere. Or maybe you, maybe you determine you're going to involve yourselves in ministry to somebody's needs. You're going to call somebody that you know you ought to call that you love and they love you, but you hadn't talked to them in a long time. Maybe that's how you put yourself into the channel of God's grace. Remember, if it's going to be, it's up to me. It's up to you if it's going to be. Now, I read about a fellow who flew into an airport. He was a young fellow. He flew into an airport. He got out of the plane immediately. He got his mother and father and flew up, and just as soon as they did, they crashed, and all of them were killed. And, of course, the inspectors came to see what had happened, what had caused the, the plane to crash. They didn't find any fire. The plane didn't burn. They didn't find any gas on the ground. So when they went to where the gas was located, they noticed it was dry. They couldn't believe it. But then witnesses said that this young pilot had flown into the airport and he had immediately picked up his parents and taken off. He hadn't taken the time to fuel up. Remember this, fuel up before you take off. Fuel up before you take off. What did Jesus say? He said, your faith has made you well. Go forth. Now, three realizations that can change your life. The realization that it's the extra things, the roadside ministries that can make a difference. The realization that miracles do happen and they can happen in your life as well. And of course, this miracle that we have to put ourselves into the channel of God's grace, the flow of God's grace. We can do that. Let us pray. Lord, thank you again for this opportunity of being here together tonight. Thank you for this word from Bartimaeus. Thank you that he was willing to reach out and to keep on reaching out in spite of the contrariness of the crowd. Thank you that Jesus heard him as he always does. And thank you that Jesus healed him. I pray, oh God, that you would help us all to know that these same realizations can make a big difference in our own lives. Bless all of these and make them a blessing. It's in your name. Thank you for being with me in this service tonight, and I pray you've been blessed, and I pray that you'll go out and be a blessing to somebody else. Call somebody and tell them about this ministry. I look forward to sharing with you next week. Thank you. Good night. Oh